Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we talk about our favorite comic books and on episodes like this, talk to the people that make them. Today, we are joined by Dennis Culver, writer of Future State Gotham, Justice Incarnate, and most recently, issue one of the Unstoppable Doom Patrol. How's it going, Dennis? Uh, pretty good. I'm doing real, doing real well. How are you doing? Doing pretty, pretty well. Really excited to have you here to talk about Doom Patrol. I, the first time I saw your name on a con- on a comic was with Gotham Future State. That great Akira homage issue blew my mind. I read that and I was like, everybody, you've got to get your hands on this issue. Can you walk me? Yeah. Can you walk me a little bit of how you got there to writing that issue and then how that led you to being the writer on Doom Patrol? Uh, Well, I've, I, uh, going way back, I've drawn a lot of comics. I used to make my own mini comics. Um, through that process of drawing comics, uh, working with other writers, I discovered that I had a lot of opinions about the story. Um, and I, I kind of came to realize that I really wanted to write some stuff too. And so I uh, started started writing, uh, you know, comics here and there. I did a little bit of work for Marvel. Uh, had an image book called Burnouts. I uh, also wrote a book called uh, Crone for Dark Horse. Uh, which all of that kind of stood as samples. Um, the other part of that story is that uh, when I first moved out to LA, uh, I was living down in Long Beach, and the comic shop I went to, uh, the the one of the people working there was Josh Williamson. And so, uh, weirdly enough, we kind of knew each other and were aware of each other, um, but we never were really close or tight. We just kind of, you know, we would occasionally talk and chit chat about comics when I was in the store. Uh, but then through weird circumstances of our lives, we both ended up in Portland at the same time. And uh, we started uh, seeing each other at shows and just realizing we shared a lot of the same sensibilities about comics. Uh, you know, you ride to a show together, you start rooming together and things like that. And we started to really uh, realize, hey, you know, we, we, we work well together. So I've, uh, I've drawn some stuff that Josh has written. Uh, I co-wrote a boom uh, Robocop book with him, like the last arc of that book. Uh, So it's something where we had kind of an off and on collaboration. And when uh, Josh did the uh, Red Hood story in uh, Dark Detective, they were like the Dark Detective backups during Future State. um, Internally at DC, they were liking the look of what of what Giannis was 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 turning in as far as pages. And they were like, uh, specifically our editor, Ben Abernathy, he was like, he really liked the idea of a manga style Batman book, you know, set in Gotham city. And so uh, from there they were wanting to do this book. Josh was really cramped with his time because he was working on the uh, infinite frontier stuff and all of those things. And since we'd already done work together, uh, I knew Ben uh, through uh, comics, uh, you know, and we had done some, uh, you know, talking and hanging out, you know, when he was with Made Fire and various other places. So we all kind of knew each other. And Josh was like, well, let's bring Dennis in. Um, and then, you know, you give me the brief Gotham City manga. <laughs> I'm going to go crazy with it. And uh, so then I just started throwing ideas. And it's like, you know, if Red Hood's riding around on the Sakura style bike, we need a big explosion. And what if that explosion left a bat shaped crater? And, you know, it just kind of kind of went from there 
uh, and then co-writing that first arc with Josh, um, it just, Red Hood and Jace kind of started talking to each other and almost became like this kind of buddy action movie, um, which really delighted us, you know, because it was like, it's like uh, the last Boy Scout set in Neo-Tokyo or something. <laughs> like it's, it's like this really crazy concept. <laughs> um, and then as, uh, as that was kind of, we were getting through that arc, um, the idea was for me to take over the book. And then I pitched, well, if there's an ex-Batman, there must be an ex-Joker, right? And we kind of went from there mm-hmm. and it was just leaning into all the tropes of that. Um, I probably had another two or three arcs for that book, but, you know, as we got further away from the future state event, uh, that book, I think, became a little less relevant. But we got 18 issues out of it, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's uh, nothing to sneeze at in the current comic sphere. (laughs) For sure. So you mentioned being really excited about the manga influences on future state Gotham. What are your larger comic influences in general, both as an artist and writer? Um, well, I'm a huge, like, uh, like my early, my early comics DNA, like kind of what got me like super interested was, you know, Larry Hammond, GI Joe, um, Chris Claremont, X-Men. Um, I was huge, like art Adams fan, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'll never be artistically where art Adams is at, but like, that is, you know, that's the moment. And, you know, mm-hmm. art Adams obviously has some manga influences there too, but, um, I was reading Doom Patrol in high school when Grant Morrison was writing it. And, uh, like I've, I've actually been a Grant Morrison fan for a really long time. So that's definitely a part of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, kind of it's it's all in there in the soup and the DNA and of, of like, you know, the kind of books I like. I think I gravitate towards teen books because of that, like because when you couple the X-Men and the JLA and the new X-Men and Invisibles, you know, it's like all these like cool teen books done by my heroes. And it's like I love that idea. Um, but, yeah, and then as far as manga stuff, like, you know, obviously the, the classics like Akira and. Uh, I really love this vagabond or this manga called Vagabond um, by the same guy that does Slam Dunk. Um, he also mm-hmm. does a really great manga called Real, which actually informs a lot of my Doom Patrol run. Um, you know, and then just uh, you know, I, I always try to hit the classics in manga. I feel like there's so much I want to read, but also there's only so much time in the world, <laughs> you know, and it's just, uh, yeah. I'm working my way through, uh, Naruto right now on the very good, uh, Shonen Jump app. If you get it like that app, I can't, I can't say enough good mm-hmm. things about it. It's like two or three bucks a month and you just get unlimited access to their mom. I mean, there is a limit, but I've never reached the limit. Like you can like, yeah. You basically download like a hundred chapters a day and I'm, I'm that's not me. I'm not going to read that much today. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's uh, it's crazy though. Yeah, it's super good. Yeah, it is fully, fully crazy. How great that app is. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it was a great. I kind of discovered it during the during lockdown, and it was you know Naruto really carried me through a lot of that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, I I'm also a big fan of Grant Morrison's work. <laughs> I love their Doom Patrol. I love pretty much everything they've done. So. You come into writing Doom Patrol, being influenced by Grant Morrison, obviously aware of the television show, aware of the success of Gerard Way, Nick Darrington's recent run. How do you approach making Doom Patrol your own? Um, Well, so 
what's interesting is you can you can I think with anybody that you that you admire, you can be an influence. You can be influenced by like the surface level of their work, but you can also mm-hmm. look at like who they're influenced by and what their their techniques and their methods is. And one of the things that I loved about Grant Morrison's take on uh, Batman was they looked at the run as if every issue of Batman had happened to Batman, and it was kind of this like idea of like what would happen to this person if this this whole thing was you know this person's life and i love that idea i also like the idea of like all your comics count like i think that mm-hmm. uh i think it's sometimes hard as a reader when you feel like something doesn't count if you're interested in the larger universes and things like that if you're interested in that kind of stuff then you're interested in things counting and i and so my general philosophy with doom patrol was like all your comics count every doom patrol comic you read is a part of this whole tapestry for for what is the Doom Patrol. And so it's not just Grant's run, it's it's the it's the early, you know, stuff uh by by Drake and Premiani. It's it's uh all of the all the subsequent runs like, you know, with the the Arcudi stuff and all of those things. Like to me it's just this one long timeline. It might not have happened exactly in chronological order, exactly as how those things unfolded, but more or less it happened, right? And so it was taking all of those things and all of those elements and kind of tracking, you know, uh, Robot Man, he started here and he's he's all the way here, you know, and it's like he went through, he went through a lot over all those years, all those characters did. And I think some of those characters, when you get to the end of the Gerard Way, Nick Darrington and everybody else's run, there is this sense that they've kind of been doing the work, they're healed or healing. Um, I think that, you know, if you look at that, Jane was already kind of stepping into a leadership role. Um, a lot of the things that we're, we're taking, it, it's subtle and it, it feels like this isn't a part of that, but I assure you it is. And as the more you, the deeper you read into it, you're going to see that all of those things happened and all of it matters. You know, Cliff was a baby. Uh, he's crazy. <laughs> like, like he was at the end of that, uh, at that Gerard Way run, but he's growing, you know, he learned those lessons and now, uh, specifically him and Jane, you know, have kind of gotten together and this like, well, this is, this is their Doom Patrol, like that team. And they're like, we're going to make it work. You know, I think Rita had a really interesting journey in the Gerard Way run, you know, and it's someone who's had a really rough life, spent a lot of it dead <laughs> in the comics, you know, and it's like, now she's uh, kind of, you know, uh, what I call a post-traumatic success, <laughs> Uh, story, you know, like she's come through all this stuff and she's kind of living a happier life. If you've seen preview issues from two, people have caught up on it that that Flex and Rita are together, uh, which was already things that were seeded and hinted at in the Gerard Way run, you know, we're mm-hmm. just kind of picking up on all those things and fleshing out and keeping the story moving forward. Um, it's not a direct sequel to any one of those runs, including Grant Morrison's, although uh, you read all those comics it's definitely going to enhance your experience but anything you need issue to issue i I make sure that i fill in the blanks and got everything you need to know i mean that really feels like that while how you walk the tightrope of comic creation right you want Mm -hmm. people to feel like what they've read has been important and worth it but you also want all the people who are going out to pick up a new doom patrol number one to not feel so lost I also like, like, you know, I don't, I don't know your comic origin story, but my comic origin story, I think is like a lot of people, you kind of, you don't just start 
with volume one, you know, it's a little different from Mongi. A lot of times you're picking up a random issue of something and jumping into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah. and you're like, I really like this and I want to know more. And so a lot of times it's, it's easier now with the internet because you can read a Wikipedia article. But back in the day, you had, you could read the official handbook of the Marvel universe or the who's who, and then you'd have to go looking for back issues. But to me, that was kind of the fun, like, you know, discovering the story from your starting point in the middle of, in the middle of the ocean and kind of building the map, you know, out from the center. And, and uh, I hope that like our series encourages people to do that, that, that they have never read Doom Patrol, but they've, they've picked up this issue and they jump into it. And they they like our book so much that they want to learn about the rest of it. That's to me that's that's a win, you know, because like uh, I love comics and I want people fully engaged in comics, even if they're not mine, you know. Absolutely, it it really is so fun that way. Mm -hmm. I think about hopping in. My first comic ever was Superior Spider Man number ten. I picked it up. Was like I like Spider Man. And it wasn't even Peter Parker in his right. my very first issue. I was like, what is happening? I love yeah, it. You're I'm right. And you're in the deepest part of the pool and you got to figure it out. Yeah. I was. And it was so fun. It made me want to backtrack. It made me want to keep going forward. And it created this hobby that means so much to me. And I think there is a little bit of magic lost when we worry so much about where to start instead of just going to what excites us. You know? Yes, for sure. And I, and I think... Um, you know, like I think older comics sometimes had the right idea with making sure they, they treated every issue. Like it was the first time it was, it was somebody's first comic. Um, I think when the bad version of that is that it, you know, there's too much exposition and it's like, you got to get through this wall of text before you get to the juicy part. Um, but I think when you do it right, you give enough information to get you through that issue and you leave enough on the table where you're curious about more and that going backwards and forwards through time is kind of a really neat analogy for that, you know, cause you can, you get the new issues as they come out, but you're still kind of digging into the past and learning. And then it, to me, it's, I think it's, it's one of the most fun things about comics is kind of just like, especially when you like something so much, you know, it's like, I want to read the rest of this, you know, like you read a, a random issue of uh, like Hickman's Avengers run, or you read, you know, even you read like secret wars and you're like, Oh, this is pretty good. And then you go and now you get to discover not just that really epic new Avengers run, but then there's that, that really epic Fantastic Four run. And then suddenly you've got like this whole universe of comics and this giant story. And then you, you know, you read all of that and then you end up reading the thing where you started all over again. It's super fun. It really is. So pivoting a little bit towards just you as a creator what have you been discovering about your own craft working on Doom Patrol that you hadn't seen before? Um, it, it's it's interesting because I was I was looking through some notebooks the other night because I did like a like an unofficial letters column I do on my Substack uh, called the Doom Scroll, and somebody was asking a question about how we developed uh, Beast Girl, and so I like it it started with me having the idea and kind of doodling. Um, Chris Brown will tell you this too. He hates character design and we used to work together in a studio as artists. So a lot of times I will do a quick sketch of a design and send it to him and let him go from there because if he's got a blank sheet of paper, it just takes, he does, it, it just freezes him up. He takes forever. So I'll usually 
get the starting point or get him going and then go from there. And sometimes we're passing drawings back and forth to each other, but pulling up that beast girl drawing that I finally sent to him, I was looking at all the notebook work I also did for doom patrol. And because it was something that I'm such a fan of, and I hold such a, like a strong place in my heart. Um, I really broke it down in a different way. Um, really because it was out of necessity too, right? Like I really had to, you know, I reread everything. I kind of went back through everything, um, you know, with this eye of like, now I'm using this, you know, it's not just now, I'm not just watching the movie. I'm like picking it apart to find ways to make my movie, you know? And it's a, so that was interesting. I don't think I've really done something with that dense of a continuity dive to really find a way to pare it down and make those things. But, uh, uh, finding the archetype of the characters was uh, something new, a new approach for me for handling a team book. And I, I really enjoyed that part of the process. That's really cool. I think it's such a different thing to read as a fan and read as someone who's trying to make these, right? You get to go back and see all the little tricks of the trade. I guess what, what do you think the core appeal of a book like Doom Patrol is where no matter what creatives are there, no matter what time period it's coming out, there seems to be a bit of magic to the Doom Patrol. What, where do you think that comes from? Uh, I think it has a similar, uh, you know, there, there's, you know, it, 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 it was an idea that kind of rolled out, you know, six months before the X-Men did. And it has a very similar uh, concept of, you know, people that are shunned by society uh, making their own kind of found families and finding, finding their way, um, you know, X-Men went one way and Doom Patrol went the other and X-Men was way more successful with the concept when they ran with it, it you know, eventually. Um, but I do think that Doom Patrol takes that concept uh, and handles it in a, in a more interesting and better way because, you know, X-Men, especially now, is it, they're all very pretty. Uh, and they're very, you know, it's, uh, oh no, I've been cursed with these powers, but I'm also a supermodel. And it's, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 whereas the Doom Patrol, you know, a lot of times, uh, they're, they're not only cursed with these powers, they're burdened with, with some kind of deformity or something that makes them, uh, that they can't lead a normal life. And I think that hits in a way that the, that the, X-Men, only a handful of characters hit like that now. Like most of the characters, like I said, are they're, they're gorgeous. Um, mm -hmm. And it, I think the ratio is inverted for Doom Patrol where there's like a few gorgeous people and then it's more, you know, rougher around the edges. And I think, not saying that everybody that reads comics is a hideously deformed monster, but we've all felt that way, right? And we've all had those feelings. And, you know, I think it's the same core appeal of like Peter Parker, like in the early days of Spider-Man, especially where it was like, even when he wins, he loses, nothing ever goes his way. Like he's a very human character, just like the Doom Patrol are very human characters, even though, you know, they, they look like monsters. Like we've all had bad days like that, where we feel that kind of pain or we feel like the things, the burdens of our lives make our life harder than anyone else's. And I think it makes them really accessible it makes it really relatable. I think it's something that the TV show in specific really found well and drilled in on. Um, there's so much heart in that show. And I think that the way they, the way they 
put all of that together and, and, you know, adapted a lot of the existing material, they were able to just take it to a deeper emotional place and something that was already emotional and somebody that something that already hit home. Like they did a really good job with that. And, you know, it's, it's, some of that influence definitely informs what we're doing on the book as well. Absolutely. I think as well, looking at the X-Men next to the Doom Patrol, I can't help but feel that a lot of the X-Men's problems exist on a very macro scale. A lot of like, everyone hates us as the mutants and they've invented giant robots to hunt us because we're mutants. Whereas a lot of the Doom Patrol's issues are like, I am getting in my own way right now. Like, yes, society has shunned me, but I also, I'm kind of being an asshole right now and I need to figure that out. And that makes them very endearing. Like you want to root for Cliff. You want him to succeed. You want, you triumph when Jane triumphs because their issues feel to me, a tad more interpersonal and, and deep. Yeah. I think that what we're doing with, by bringing them into the dawn of the DC and like keep getting a little more grounded in the main DC universe is, is taking some of those issues and, and putting them into a macro, you know, um, some of it is, uh, you know, much like if you look at Grant's run, there's a lot of uh, uh, Fantastic Four pastiche in there. Um, we have our fair share of like X-Men pastiche in this run, you know, like for instance, Peace, Peace, Peacemaker uh, in fact sends giant robots uh, called Peacehammers after the control in issue two. Um, but, and it's definitely a nod towards, you know, those, those types of days in the X-Men. It's just a one panel gag, but it's there, you know, and we'll have mm-hmm. that. And it's in, it's in the soup. Um, I think, I think it's an interesting concept to kind of take the Doom Patrol and their same roots that the X-Men have and amplify them in a, in a similar way, but also, uh, you know, the DCU is a very different place. And that makes it, to me, it makes it super interesting. Absolutely. I mean, the Doom Patrol as well has been a franchise that exists almost to the side, being a part of Vertigo, being a part of Young Animal. So your run, in my experience, is the first to, I was surprised to see Batman in a Doom Patrol comic, basically. It's fun to have them dragged into the main DC continuity. How have you found that process? What's been exciting about that approach to Doom Patrol for you? Well, my my idea about it is... The, the idea of the Doom Patrol being outcast and being off to the side is it's not a bug, it's a feature. And it's just taking that concept and saying like, you know, well, if they're not connected, because I, I feel like the one of the things about the DCU is it's very interconnected with like the core pillar of the Justice League, you know, like mm-hmm. the Titans are former sidekicks and the Justice Society are former mentors. Like most heroes, the vast majority in the DCU are somehow connected to the justice league you know and that mm-hmm. includes batman superman wonder woman and all their families of books they all kind of funnel back and connect to this big pillar uh i saw kurt Busiek refer to it recently on twitter is that all the eggs are in one basket and, and i think that's that's true to a certain extent um and then there's the doom patrol kind of over here <laughs> you know off to the side yeah uh like like we said and they're the freaks and the outcasts and you know at the end of the end of every crisis or every big crossover where they do that big group picture of all the superheroes in the dcu 
uh, no one ever invites the Doom Patrol to those pictures. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it's they're just kind of they're 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 outcasts by design. And like I I like that idea. And it's like, well, if that is true, what happens if these outcasts uh, decide that they'd want to start poking around in the main in the main the main arena? You know, and they start stepping on toes and they start taking on a proactive approach. And so, you know, the first place you want to take them in that regard is Gotham City, because that's the one place, like, that is really off limits to all heroes, you know, like Batman is it's like, this is my city, don't come to my city, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. uh, so I was like, well, you know, the, the best way, metaphorically, that we can show that, that the Doom Patrol is kind of sticking their nose into places where they shouldn't is just roll them right into Gotham City <laughs> and, and, you know, have them step on their toes and it gives a good opportunity to have that conversation and kind of put their mission statement right in the forefront. Um, you know, and hopefully as we continue to, to go on, uh, we're kind of setting the table with this first series and hopefully we'll be able to get into bigger series where the, you know, every series the Doom Patrol becomes a little bit of a bigger problem for everybody else in the DC universe. That's my hope. Like, I like that. Yeah. I we want to make them everybody's problem. Yes, like exactly. That. Yeah. And it's and I I do I don't know if you've ever read the original Secret Wars. It was uh Jim Shooter and, mm-hmm. and Mike Zach. Uh one of the coolest things to me when I read that was how you know they gathered all the heroes on one sh- on one ship or whatever it was and they gathered all the but but there was when all the heroes were gathered there the X-Men were kind of like standing off to the side on their own and they were like mm-hmm. oh those guys are so weird and it was like i love that concept of just like that separateness it doesn't really exist anymore because you know X-Men are Avengers and Avengers are X-Men and everything else but mm-hmm. i think that's neat and i kind of you know when the doom patrols around everybody just like those guys are weird they're kind of scary we don't know what's exactly happening there like i just i love those kind of vibes but now it's like, imagine if they just kept showing up to your party <laughs> and being weird yeah. in, the, in your house. Yeah. It reminds me so much of just the opening pages of the painting that ate Paris, right? When the Justice League shows up and like, this is, this is too damn weird. I, we can't get yeah. involved with this. Yeah. I actually yeah. have a, in issue three, uh, cause you know, the, the Doom Patrol are kind of running afoul of Green Lanterns and it's Guy Gardner's there and that's the only time Guy Gardner's ever met these guys really in, in, in any book. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you know, he showed up, uh, these weirdos were fighting their enemies in the painting and they all just kind of stood around looking at the painting until it was fixed. And, uh, you know, his comments, like the whole thing gave me a headache, like, you know, fuck those guys. <laughs> uh, and I think that's like, that's kind of the general attitude. Like, you know, guys, the only one that would say it, and be a dick about it. But I mean, I think everybody kind of feels that way. It's just like, yes, we don't know what to do when these guys are dealing with their junk. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I think another thing that really caught my eye about your first issue was your specific approach to Jane. Do you want to talk a little bit about where you want to take Jane in this run and how you got to where you're at? Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, like when you get to the end of the way in Darrington run, um, you know, Jane is taking on more of a leadership role. Like she's been stepping up as the series progressed and she's kind of front and center there at the end, uh, holding baby cliff. Um, and then I was just like, well, you know, it, it's all, it's all like taking things to a logical state. It's like, well, if the Doom Patrol is now firmly planted in the DC universe and they're really 
you know, being proactive and getting on people's toes, like what is the best way that Jane would be able to execute that? And I think that comes down to, you know, maybe there's, there's, there's one of those 64 personas, uh, you know, there's different identities is someone who's capable of stepping up as a leader and, and moving into, to that role. Um, They almost do are doing too good of a job and that's kind of, annoying Jane, you know, because there's, uh, they're, they're, they're maybe spending a little too much time above, above ground. Uh, but, you know, that's the, you know, you pick up one end of the stick, you pick up the other end of the stick too. And to do this thing, uh, she's very effective and she's doing a good job. But by that happening, it also means, you know, you get to do less of what you were doing. And so there's some internal conflict and external conflict because of that, because also, you know, it's your friend, Jane, who you've you known and you've gotten comfortable with. And suddenly it still kind of looks like Jane. She's just wearing a mask and being a dick now. <laughs> and it's like, that's kind of hard to, to wrap your head around as you're, as you're working, you know? I like that. Uh, is there a character you're the most excited to play with as this run goes along? I mean, I, uh, Robot Man is really fun to write because he's just kind of, you know, there's that the archetypal space that he occupies is the same as like Ben Grimm and Hellboy. And, you know, they're all kind of like really similar characters where it's, it's, it's almost like a, a blue collar working class, like kind of, you know, this is the job. I know I get beat up for a living. But I mostly <laughs> yeah. can't die. So I'm the first one in and, you know, mm-hmm. they kind of just, that's their, that's their role. Um, having that attitude, that kind of workman, you know, this is just another day. I've seen it all before. That's a, it's really fun to write. Um, Cliff also has much like those other characters has a really big heart and, you know, a soft side. And, and so that's a, it's always fun to play with that contrast. Um, having a lot of fun with beast girl, uh, because Burnham loves drawing her. So it's feel like, you know, as he's embraced that character, uh, it's, she's kind of taken on her life of her own that I find really interesting. Um, also it's just, it's neat, you know, kind of pairing characters off and bouncing them off of each other, you know, like it's, uh, you know, in this, in the third issue, when, when it, it's mostly uh, Cliff and Larry on a road trip trying to get away from the Green Lantern. So it's just those two guys hanging together and those two guys interact differently than when they're on the whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, as we, uh, we added a bonus seventh issue, but it's going to be issue four and we're kind of using it like our therapy issue. Um, cause, uh, we have this character called Dr. Cinco and she has this ability to channel fifth dimensional intelligence. So her, her head kind of grows extra heads and she's kind of <laughs> like this, uh, like, uh, like the character from total recall, you remember, like, and then just like these heads coming out and then like, she speaks with one voice of these five fifth dimensional imps who are, you know, observing from a much higher place and they know all the answers, but they're still being your therapist. And so we have the different characters kind of talking to the therapist and because it's fifth dimensional, we don't have to just have them sitting in an office together, looking at each other. We get to kind of, you know, play with the visuals and it really gets uh, a little trippy and collage like as we, as they're talking. And so it gives us a chance to kind of dig in deeper with the characters saying things that they might not say to anyone else. They just something they would say because it's just a private therapy session. So it's neat having like the characters react differently depending on who they're with, you know, like the chief 
and Niles Calder don't get along, you know, <laughs> like it's, mm-hmm. uh, he's there in a, in a, in a, in a in consulting capacity, but he's also a very egotistical man and thinks he's the one that should be running the team. And so that's neat having like, this is the, this is the woman that's in charge now. This is the man that wants your job. Uh, who's trying, who's still trying to help. There's very interesting conflict there. And so you get to kind of build on those things. Um, it, you know, once, once Burnham started drawing, you know, like seeing, seeing my scripts kind of come to life more, it starts mm-hmm. informing everything and everything kind of starts moving there too. Uh, I actually write pretty fast. I'm, I'm, I'm done with all the scripts. Uh, but when Burnham's ready for the next one, I always kind of go through and, you know, polish it up a little and based on what he's already drawn and things like that. But yeah, it's uh it's real fun. I'm, I'm hoping we get to do more because it's, it's such a, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I really like the way the team has gone. I'm very ambitious about it. I, I want it to be as big as, as uh, Marvel's Doom Patrol, the X-Men, you know, like I want that. I want, <laughs> I want our Doom Patrol to do just as well and be huge and hopefully have franchises and all those things. I like that. I like calling them Marvel's Doom Patrol. That's fun. I mean, they got there first. <laughs> the, the Doom Patrol was uh, there before the other guys. It's true. It's true. They yeah. showed up to the party late and they thought it was all about them. That's right. Typical X-Men. Typical X-Men talking about how hard it is when they have Russell Dodderman covers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very pretty. Hard to be that afflicted. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think my last question, you've talked, you're doing a therapy issue. You've talked about the Doom Patrol feeling like a stand-in for the reader that may feel ostracized, may feel like they're going through a hard time. What do you hope people learn and take away from your Doom Patrol run? Oh man, I don't know if I go into writing stuff thinking about that kind of thing. Like, like I'm not, anything that I'm putting in that story, like, like as a, for instance, if you read the Dark Fate story that was in the Lazarus Planet special, um, there's this conversation that Larry has with the, with the metahuman, um, and the metahuman, you know, he has these new abilities and everybody he loved turned on him. And, you know, it's given him these thoughts of like, you know, this isn't worth it, you know? And, and, and Larry's talking about like, we'll help you learn how to, you know, teach you how to deal with the cards you've been dealt. And he says, well, what if I want to fold? And, you know, through that story, Larry was like, I've, I was in that place too, you know, and I, I, I get it. Um, but I decided to try it this way and I'm still here. And it was like kind of asking that character to do the same. And that's just, I mean, it's how I feel about those things, but it's, it wasn't, wasn't from a trying to reach out to people like that, because I don't know if comic books are the best way to do that. But I think it's just, I think it's just being true to myself as a writer and being true to the characters that I hope people take away things that are, I guess my personal philosophy and, and, and things like that, you know, and, and, but it's, I feel like when you set out to do that from the start, that we're going to write a very special issue of doom patrol. That's, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like that isn't the most noble way to go about it. And a lot of times it comes off as uh, heavy handed and, and it doesn't, it doesn't hit in the way that it was. I, I didn't know that character was going to say that to Larry until we got into that. Like, like I, there's an outline I wrote for that. And then it's just the characters start 
talking, you know, and they start doing these things. I knew Larry was going to talk to this kid and get this kid to join the Doom Patrol. I didn't know that through, that was the way that it would happen, you know, but I think it was a very honest response. You know, if you've suddenly been, you know, hideously disfigured, the guy's like a living mushroom thing. He's got mushrooms growing out of him, you know, and it's like, that would definitely take you to a real dark place really fast. And it, you know, it just, that's what evolved from the story. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like thinking about what I just, I mean, at the end of the day, I want to make comics that people like love and enjoy and have a good time with. Um, but I want them to feel meaningful for me, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. if that meaning can convey to other people, then that makes me super happy for sure. I like that. I, I have aspirations of writing myself mm -hmm. and it definitely is a fine line to walk. I find that the hardest things, but the most meaningful things to me to write are the ones that are like getting to the core of what I believe. Right. And like making myself figure out what I believe about the world. Yeah. But then there's also just a lot of fun writing something that's fun. That you don't have to worry about all that with, and just trying to find that balance in every project. Yeah, I think uh, I actually have someone, a college student who wrote me a really long letter about asking for writing advice. And I asked their permission, mm -hmm. I'm going to turn it into a Substack article just so I can better communicate all these things. And hopefully it's a, these are just my ideas about it. And hopefully it's a resource that anybody that ever wants to talk to me about it, they can start there and, you know, go from mm -hmm. there. Um, but a lot of times my advice for writing boils down to, uh, all advice is bullshit, uh, you know, because like, I think that uh, there used to be this thing called the famous artists uh, course. And it was this, it was a bunch of artists in like, I think the uh, might've been the fifties and sixties, maybe earlier, but maybe forties and fifties. Uh, but they put together this like, you know, home correspondence course where you could learn to draw. But the first thing that it said was you learn to draw by drawing. Mm -hmm. And it, the same is true for writing. You learn to write by writing. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of who David Milch is, created Deadwood, um, mm -hmm. really intelligent guy, done all, all kinds of things. He's also a horrible drug addict. He's led a very colorful life. But one of the things he, he, he did these talks during the last writer's strike uh, that happened several years ago. Um, but it, it, the headline was, the ego is the enemy of the imagination. And the thing that he would always say is like, thinking about writing is not writing. And the only thing you can do is like, we've got all these thoughts and feelings about what we want to write and what we want to do. But at the end of the day, that's all just your bullshit ego talking. And you've just got to set all that aside and just write and whatever comes out, comes out. And, you know, if it's insensitive, that's when you go back with your editor hat and you kind of can punch it up and make it sensitive. But in the moment to try to think about anything else other than just getting in the zone and writing is folly. Like, because mm -hmm. you can't, it just trips you up, you know? And it's like, that's why I said, like, you know, trying to think about uh, what people can learn or take away. I can't, I can't personally start there. I just have to be like, all right, these are all these characters. This is what I want to do. And I just got to start writing in my notebook, writing on my whiteboard. And sometimes I do all that and I'm in the actual script and I, that all goes out the window, you know, like, cause it's just the characters start talking to each other and it's like, 
this feels more true to me than anything that I conceived about it before I actually started writing it. And uh, yeah, ultimately my writing advice is always just write, <laughs> you know, go yeah. write uh, because it's the only way you learn about what you're doing is through doing it. And you'll surprise and delight yourself that way. You'll, things will come out of your pen that you have no idea where it came from. And it's like, you'll, you'll, you'll look back on it and you're like, Oh man, this is really good. I have no idea how I wrote that, but it's great. Uh, you know, and sometimes it'll be the opposite. You're like, this is really bad. I don't know why I let myself get away with that, but you just got to get it out that way. I like that. I thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so how can our listeners help you most? Obviously, if you've listened to this, if you've liked this, go buy Unstoppable Doom Patrol. Go to your local comic store. Get it on your pull list. This comic is absolutely worth your time. But you, Dennis, is there anything else you would like to plug or say to the listeners before we wrap up? Uh, well, so the main thing with, with, uh, with, with Doom Patrol, you're absolutely right. Put it on your pull list. Uh, show up to your comic shop and and let them know, like letting them know you're excited about this book, like putting on the pull list that encourages them to order more to put on the shelves. Um, and, you know, that in turn hopefully gets people to pick up the book. Um, if you if you are on social media, talk about it. If you like the comic, any comic, if you like the comic, say you like the comic, you know, even if you got seven followers, you know, somebody might go check out the book for that. Um I think the best thing that, that any of us can do really is just, you know, kind of focus on those things. It's really easy to get on social media and tell you, talk about a comic you think sucks. Um, I think it's harder to really, you know, say, Hey, this comic's really fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, all those things. Um, those are, those are the best things. Uh, if you want to kind of keep in the loop on doom patrol, like if you follow my Substack. Uh, a lot of stuff I put there sneakily before it goes anywhere else. Um, so like you can definitely uh, kind of be ahead of the game that way. And I'm also doing, like I said, that letters column every month. So I really, uh, I'm not a huge fan of social media personally, <laughs> um, but yeah. I know that if it helps sell the book and it helps by building a community together, hopefully around our book, I think would be really fun and really great. Um you know, I don't think I don't think I can necessarily lead the community, but if I can put information out there and people keep talking about it, I think it's the best thing that, that I can do. Um, but yeah, yeah. And if you, you know, if you're somewhere where you can't uh, pre-order a book, uh, you know, put the word of mouth out there. Just talk about it. Do you know anything you can do helps for sure? Absolutely. Yeah. So again, go out, support this book, and take Dennis's advice. Talk about the things you like said the things you don't like yeah sure. uh, you can still do that just do it with friends you know don't do it don't broadcast it like i mean i listen i do like i you know me and a buddy sometimes we'll just be like Whew, i didn't like that comic at all and we'll as writers we'll talk about it sometimes and figure out why we didn't like it and what we would do differently and things like that but uh you know for social media i don't think you're you're doing you're helping <laughs> by just saying this is junk uh, I try to like, if I, if I like something, I try to say it whenever I can, because I think that's important. I really liked, I listened to an interview from Bill Hader and he said one of his favorite things in the world to do used to be going to see bad movies and then tearing them apart with his friends. Yeah. Like, and then I wrote my first script ever. He's like, and it wasn't fun anymore. Cause I realized how hard it was to make a movie. 
That is the absolute truth, man. Like I, I, uh, I always say other people have said this too, is every comic is a miracle because if you knew mm -hmm. just how much effort it takes to even get the book off the ground. And then once you're in production, just making the comic happen because it's, you know, it's, it's making sure you're on time, then it's up to the artist and, and the artist has, you know, the hardest part because they've got so many hours to put into that. And it's like, one bad day for them or for you or for any, I mean, it can wreck the whole comic. It can throw the whole thing off the rails. And so, you know, when you think about these big publishers getting as many comics out as they do and, you know, the bonus is some of them are good. Like is, it's, it's a real miracle. And, and the more you make the comics, the more you appreciate that process. And the more, you, when you make comics, you put out bad ones too. And, and, you know, I've, I've put out some stinkers in my time and I've seen people complain about them online. And it's like, if I could tell you the full story, you would probably uh, be a little more kind to me, but it's at the same time, it is what it is. You got to keep going forward. Yeah. Well, I think you're in the midst of making a pretty good one. So thank yeah, I feel you. real good about it. I'm, I'm real happy with Doom Patrol and I'm happy with the response. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really proud of the book and I'm proud of everything that the team's doing. Like Chris Burnham's doing the work of his career. Uh, Brian Reber, uh, this is really the first time that they've worked together on comics, Brian Reber and, and Burnham, and they're a dream team. Like they, the yeah. way they work together is so good. Um, and then Pat Brosso is like, you know, I mean, he, he lettered Hellboy, like he's been around, like he's, he's lettered so many things. Um, and I've worked with him on a number of other projects and, and he's bringing it. Uh, our editor, Ben is one of the best editors in comics too. So it's, it's a, it's a really awesome team. Like I'm, I'm super happy about the book. I love that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Bye.